0: Hey, this is Mike Vergiglia, and you're listening to PF's tape recorder, which is one of the better tape recorders.
1: Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, Joel Hodgson. In the context of Mystery Science Theater,
0: it's an entire ninety-minute show that we had to fill with our ideas and, and riffs and basically we were you know needed to use everything we knew to make to make that show and so sometimes we didn't really fret we never said who's gonna get this we always said the right people will get it
1: Yes, from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, I got in contact with them. They're, they're touring the country right now with a live stage show, but I thought I'll, I'll talk to any any member of the cast is fine. And here we get Joel Hodgson. Incredible. What a fun chat comedy genius, this guy. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a few minutes, of course. Uh, at the end of the show, of course, we have a song of the week from OMD. And you're going to say, wait a minute, OMD had the song of the week six weeks ago. PF, what's up? Well, it's a different song, but I'm going to make my case for why they get to get the song of the week uh, in the span of uh, six weeks. Well, it's a good song for one, but I'll, I'll explain more in a bit. I have a TV show recommendation, some other bits of housekeeping at the end of the show, so please stay tuned for that. But right now, a dumb bit. Of course it seems like we could do this bit every week.
2: What kind of nonsense
1: is that? It was made in America week, uh, you may or may not have seen. And to kick things off, the president started with a big speech, which uh, began like this.
2: Thank you, Mike. And you know, Mike, it is true that as I walked through the halls, we saw so many great companies. But The gentleman who was in charge of uh, Omaha beef, they do beef, he hugged me. He wanted to kiss me so badly. (laughs)
1: And then the president wanted to grab his—well, never mind. Anyway, Omaha beef, I thought, that that's odd. Uh, does he mean the indoor football team there in Omaha? That's the Omaha beef. No, he meant Omaha steaks, obviously. Oh, and by the way, not mad at Omaha steaks, and they're not a sponsor or anything, highly recommended. Apologies to my vegetarian and vegan friends, but uh, that's some good stuff, people. Anyway, uh, the president continued with, uh, well, why was the president of Omaha beef, nay steaks, uh, so enamored of the president?
2: Because he said— Our business is a whole different business now because you got China approved. The other administrations couldn't even come close.
1: And this is where it gets a little bit odd.
2: And I told him, you know how long it took? One sentence. I said, President Xi, we'd love to sell beef back in China again. He said, you can do that.
1: I just get the sense we're not getting the whole story.
2: That was the end of that, right? Sonny, the great Sonny Perdue. So we're very happy, but we're here today to celebrate American manufacturing.
1: And there it is. He gives a shout out to Sonny Perdue off of chicken. And what he's not telling you, or what he must remember in that moment is that, because he didn't tell you the whole story, is the reason we're selling beef in China is because the Chinese are going to sell chicken here. So he just didn't go in there and say, hey, we want to sell beef. And the Chinese are like, wow, Donald Trump, you're so great, we'll go ahead and do that. I mean, it's a negotiation. I mean, it's not a bad thing. I'm not criticizing that. But this jive that he just had to sit down with the president of China and say, we want to sell beef. And the guy just rolled over and said, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. So I don't think Sonny Perdue is very happy about this. But... um. This brings us to really the, the main point here, and I think you know a clip I'm going to play next. Uh, yeah, we're celebrating Made in America week, uh, but who can forget this? And beautiful Where, white. where are the
2: shirts made? Bangladesh. Bangladesh. Well, it's good. Okay. We employ people in Bangladesh.
1: Ties? Where are the ties made? They have to work These too. are beautiful ties. They are great ties. The ties are made in where? China? China. Ties are made in China.
2: I'll tell you, and, and you know what, David, in all fairness, I've been very open about that. And not all of them, by the way, but I've been very open about that. Are you okay? Is the, the chair no, I'm was fine. Made I just, China. yeah, I know. chair, <laughs> the was, made the chair was made in China. chair was made in China.
1: The great David Letterman, of course, from 2015, confronting Donald Trump about where his stuff was made. Before it was really that big a deal, although he'd been banging on about China for years and years and years. And he said back in that clip that uh, not all of it is made overseas. Of course all of it is. All of it is, all of it is made. His, all, his kids' crap, all of it is made overseas. The only thing that wasn't made overseas was those stupid Make America Great Again hats. Uh, those were made in the United States. Now, how great would it have been? on Made in America Week, for him to stand up there and say, hey, we used to make our shirts in China uh, and in Bangladesh, but now we're going to make them in the United States. Well, well, PF, how could that be possible? Well, my friend Jackie Cation sells T-shirts on her website, and they are competitively priced, and they're made in the Carolinas by union workers. So if my friend Jackie Cation can get shirts made in America, I'm certain Donald Trump can get that sorted. What kind of nonsense is that? Joel Hodgson, how would you describe him? He started as a stand-up comedian, but then turned into a TV writer, producer, uh, created an American comedy institution with Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, We got on a kind of a uh, conference call of sorts with him. I'll explain that as uh, we dial in to Joel Hodgson. So we're going to be calling in to Joel Hodgson. conference line and what is happening here. This happened with Marin last time we interviewed him. Uh, We are just kind of standing in a line of people that are going to interview Joel and uh, hopefully we will be on time. What happened with Marin uh, the last time we interviewed him was uh, since everybody had been running over and we were kind of at the back of the line, we only got like 15 minutes. So hopefully we will get the full 20 with Joel that the other person ahead of us won't be running late. And uh, we'll see what happens. All right, so here we go. We're going to call in to Joel. Let me get my phone up here and keypad. And
0: Hey, it's Joel. Hey, hello. Hey, go I'm ahead, so sor- sorry. I'm sorry I'm late. I think that last interview went long. Sorry about that. That's no okay. Problem. I'm going to go ahead and bump the next one a few minutes because I want to give you your full time, your 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. Let's and do that. I'm sorry. And go ahead that. and get I'm started, and, Okay. Uh, okay. Thanks for, your, Super. thanks for waiting.
1: All right. Thanks. Sorry about that. No problem. Uh, first question, a little housekeeping. I was supposed to ask you, is it okay if we use the audio for my podcast? Sure. Okay, great. Um, your colleague, J. Elvis Weinstein, has been on a couple of times and uh, spoke highly of his Yeah, experience. man. Yeah, there you go. Spoke highly of his experiences, but now I get to talk to the man. This is this is huge. I appreciate you doing this. I would have settled for any member of the cast, and, and here I get the, the top dog. This oh, is awesome. thanks,
0: man. Well, you know, it's important. So this is for city pages. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. know I. Uh, you know,
1: I got to. I'm from Minnesota, man. Right. Well, as I was telling Sheila, your publicist, I'm actually. Not in Minnesota. I live in Cincinnati. I've been in Minnesota twice for an hour in the airport, but I've written for the paper there for years, and I've been, of course, a fan of MST3K for you know, gosh, 20 years now. So, uh, yeah. Thanks so much, man. Um, and even before that, your stand-up. I remember you. Uh, I remember the one joke that sticks out. You did on Letterman. You came out and said you were from Minnesota, and everyone applauded. And you said, "Can I have a ride?" <laughs> So, <laughs> right,
0: right.
1: Yeah. So that was even pre mst 3 k So is is the show like? Is it better to do it live now in front of the studio or in front of the theater audience, where you can get kind of that reaction, or is it a little tougher because maybe if things don't go exactly right, you can't redo them?
0: Well, um, you know, we did our first um, we did our first live show back when the show was still in production in Minneapolis. And we did it at the theater, uh, the Hennepin, the, the theater that, it's an art house cinema. You might have to look it up for me. I can't remember the name of it, I, but it's on Hennepin and Lake. Okay. Uh, and so we did our first live show there, um, MST3K Alive, an experiment. And it works so well that I think, I just took a mental note, like, We, you know, hopefully we can do more things like this. And, um, so the big thing that happened was getting to do Cinematic Titanic live and we did about a hundred live shows, uh, over the course of like six years. And that really shaped, uh, the new mystery science theater so much getting to do it live. And so in a way, um, it's kind of the state of the art, I think, doing it live. Doing it in front of a live audience um, people kind of sharing the screen um, in the room with these really talented movie riffers is a really it's really strong so um, it works great and th- the big thing is you just have to be really on your toes because you're editing while the audience is laughing sometimes they uh. laugh really hard at a joke that they may not have laughed at hard at the night before and it could eclipse set up for your next joke so you're constantly uh. rearranging your material so it works you know in in context you can't you can't you know the, the movie just keeps rolling so you can't really stop the film and wait for them to quit
1: laughing oh yeah um one thing i always wondered about especially from back in the early days is since it started out you know on a local uh, minneapolis tv station were the early jokes were they ever like local focused? Because I remember living in Pittsburgh, they had a Garden Variety Morning Zoo program. But what made it listenable was the fact they made fun of local celebrities and local things. They did spot on impressions of the local newscaster and the weatherman, and it was really enjoyable. And it kind of like people were kind of in the know. It's kind of like oh, we live here, so we get this, and someone else might not. Or was it always broad based humor?
0: No, I think um, the thing that made it unique was we always used very Midwest. Uh, References, and even when the show went national, we would talk about things we knew about and talk about uh, local things. Um, for one thing, uh, we started on KTMA, and there was a local uh, press guy personality named Barry Zivan and in Minneapolis, and we would often do impressions of Barry Zavan. Okay. And um, when we were at KTMA. But yeah, that Mystery Science Theater is. Is kind of well known for doing really eclectic uh, Midwestern references and it, it when when that was just not the fashion at all
1: I was going to say that you really kind of helped set a, a comedy agenda and I think of the other guy that was kind of been on the same thing was Dennis Miller but in a different way uh, where you kind of had to know a lot of pop culture and you know some things you got some things you didn't but it was okay because you know you still knew it was clever and somebody got it yeah
0: yeah, it's true. We, you know, it was kind of like, um, you know, our style really fit in right, really right when cable was starting. And it really worked well in that context because, uh, you know, in cable, as opposed to um, broadcast, cable would repeat, do a lot of repeat viewings of uh, your show. So they would show a mystery science theater five times a week, and so people could watch it and rewatch it easily. And it's also right when, you know, people were really starting to use their VCRs to record shows, and so they'd record our show, and if they really liked it, they could start digging in and trying to understand the uh, references. Um, but but again, um, in the context of mystery science theater, its an entire 90-minute show that we had to fill with our ideas and and riffs, and basically we were, you know, needed to use everything we knew to make to make that show. And so sometimes we didn't really fret. We never said who's going to get this. We always said the right people will get it. Uh-huh.
1: And so that was
0: kind of the our, our um, you know kind of our motto when we were making the show.
1: Yeah, I hate this—that expression that was the perfect storm. But like I said, right at that time, people had ten years of cable under their belt. So if you'd miss something growing up, you probably had a chance to catch it. Because even to this day, Frank Conniff, when he's on Jimmy Dore's show, will make these old references. And Jimmy and I are the same age, and Jimmy won't always get them, and I'll hear them and be like, "Oh, that's funny." Even though they're before my time, I've lived on the earth and I, you know, have watched some of these things. So I'll get most of Frank's jokes, uh, which is, you yeah. know, like I said, even better. You feel, you feel like you've accomplished something. When you've gotten one, you know. Letterman used to say that about Dennis Miller. He goes, oh, I feel like I've accomplished something when I get one of your jokes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, it's just there, and and you know, it's that. And the other thing too is that um, we we really do such a wide variety of kind of kinds of riffs. Yeah. That it's kind of like people don't don't feel obliged to have to get every joke. It's kind of like, oh, I'll wait. If I don't like that one. I'll wait like a minute another 30 seconds because you know actually it's every 10 seconds the truth is we have a you know we have a you know roughly yeah I don't know it's like 10 riffs per minute rough on average so it's you wait a few seconds and there there will be another one so I don't think I think the structure of the show um, kind of kept the stress off of usual comedy where you had to wait a little longer for a punchline and there was a lot more stress on it. And with ours, it was more of a shotgun approach where we had a lot of riffs, and we didn't need you know to get all of them.
1: Yeah, and it's t- interesting, too, because like a good sitcom, the personalities of the cast kind of came through. I remember my, uh, my late friend Jim Lugers, who was also a huge fan of the show, he was a Tom Servo guy, but I was a Crow guy. So I just seemed to like Crow. Yeah. Yeah, so it did, but just kind of depends. Even though Jim and I had similar senses of humor, we kind of gravitated one way or the other, but still enjoyed, you know, the, the other uh, jokes yeah, as well. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so when you uh, stepped away for a while, was it you, were you just burned out on it? Did you want to do just other things? or had, um, And Mike took over? What was the reasoning behind that?
0: Oh, well, mostly there was, you know, we just had conflict. I was fighting with my partner, uh, Jim Mallon. Uh-huh. We had a difference of opinion. Mostly it was around when we were doing the feature, for okay. Mystery Science Theater. So we just had a parting of the ways.
1: Okay, and uh, you, you appeared on Freaks and Geeks, of course, in a recurring role. That was that was a lot of fun. Did, did Jay Elvis pull you into that, or how did that come about? Because you're very very recognizable uh, character. Uh, from oh the...
0: no, uh, no, I'm friends with Judd Apatow and Paul Feig, and oh, they, okay. they they uh-huh. they um yeah, they're the ones who booked me for it.
1: Okay. And uh, are you still based in Minnesota? I thought you were because you were on my friend Jackie Cashian's podcast. I think she had to call you in.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I, I actually, off the record, yeah, I don't uh, okay. really ever deal where I live.
1: Oh, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, but as well, I just wanted, cause I wanted to ask you where was this was leading was, you know, having at least grown up there and worked there for so many years, you know, Minneapolis always had that reputation as a music town, uh, you know, with prints. Uh, all the way to Husker Du and, you know, the Twin Tone and all, and all that stuff. But people kind of forget it's a, it's a big comedy town. Not only Mystery Science, but all the stand-ups that come out. Mary Mack, Tim Harmston, people that came from Wisconsin, like Jackie to start there. Uh, do you think Minnesota doesn't... Or Louis Anderson, uh, another one. Do you think Minnesota kind of gets a little short shrift in in being recognized as the comedy center that it really is? And then, say, this is from someone who's never lived there. I'm saying this is a third, disinterested third party. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I feel like... Um... You know, these kind of sister cities, uh, to really big cities often where, are where real, really become comedy hubs. And, um, you know, for example, San Francisco is really, was a really hot stand up town when I was doing stand up. Oh yeah. Same with Boston, Boston rather than New York and Minneapolis, uh, sister to Chicago. So those kind of satellite cities. Um, are always really good for comedy. And, um, you know, with Minneapolis, they were just so, such a great audience. It's like, I gotta say, there's just something about them where they, they're just really encouraging. Like, that was the vibe that I got more than anything when I was doing my stand up there and doing Mystery Science Theater there. They just, they just were really like, they were into it and and i just think that i just don't know if mystery science theater could have come from anywhere else Uh, anywhere else because because it was like they're so encouraging and it wasn't like like we had to prove anything it was just like they liked it you know yeah
1: and how incredible for a local tv station to invest even what they did in bringing mystery science to life yeah absolutely yeah because we had, I used to work for a radio show here in town in Cincinnati, and it was very rare. It was an afternoon comedy show, and it lasted until the host retired and they didn't renew his contract. But it was very rare, and I never would have gotten involved in it had I not moved to Cincinnati, because I don't think the other town had, is all, you know, all the funny stuff happens in the morning, and then in the afternoon it was like, you know, whatever. But, um. Right. So did you miss doing stand up, or did, did, was really Mystery Science your niche, and you found this is, you know, this is what I want to be doing, this kind of performing and writing?
0: Well. Yeah. Yeah, stand-up's really a young man's game. Like, you know, you have to invest so much time to being on the road, so much time into being in a club. You can't really, like, have a family. You can't really, like, you know, it. it it's perfect when you're in your 20s. I, I started, like, when I was in college at Bethel, uh my senior year, and uh, the next year I moved to Los Angeles. And my career as a stand-up was about three years long uh then I stopped doing that moved back to Minneapolis and about a year later I started uh mystery science theater when I was uh 28 okay so um, it's just that thing um, it really to really get your chops to the stand up you really got to invest a lot of time and that time is uh hanging out in a club and yeah. getting working an audience so it's hard to maintain you know
1: yeah. As the aforementioned Dennis Miller, I remember in an interview with him a long time ago, he said he left Los Angeles and just went on the road and then came back and he, with the goal of coming back to L.A. and people saying, wow, who the hell is that guy? He's amazing. And I took I'm going through places like the South and Texas, you know, where people didn't really take a shine to his comedy too much sometimes. So, But I guess the nice thing with Mystery and Stein, That's
0: That's, that's yeah. really true. I was there when Dennis Miller broke in L.A. and it's really true. He got his chops on the road, and 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 that's what you have to do. Like, it's much harder if people try to start in LA and develop there. It's much better yeah. if you if you get your bit figured out somewhere else and come to LA when it's when it's more completed. You have more of an idea, you know, yeah. who you are.
1: Yeah, and the same thing with uh, in, with Mystery Science. You kind of have that built-in Midwestern sensibility because you know it, it, it plays well. In, as well, well, I mean, it plays well all over the country, obviously, because it was one of Comedy Central's most successful shows. But particularly in Cleveland, Detroit, Indianapolis—I'd even include Pittsburgh in that. Pittsburgh is more Midwest than it is uh... East Eastern Seaboard. But yeah, um, so uh... so what are the plans from here is it to, to to do more tours? Will we be seeing more Mystery Science? I know it's back on Netflix and so forth. But are there, are there any grand plans for it, or just to keep the franchise going?
0: Well. But- the big thing was doing the Kickstarter and and that really helped us a lot Do you know about that
1: yeah I was reading about that on the yeah
0: okay and and um, the Kickstarter um, really helped set us up really great just to kind of be able to take another run and bring back mystery science theater uh, we did season uh, 11 on Netflix and I guess the idea is to keep doing shows on Netflix as long as they want them and And, uh, and the live tour is going so well. Um, I, I feel fairly confident saying it's very likely we'll do it again next summer or fall, uh, as well, uh, meaning in a year. Um, I just am really happy with that too. And we also have a, we have a, a deal with Dark Horse Comics. So we got a comic coming out, which we're working on this summer as well. And I think it comes out in the new year.
1: Oh, great. Well, cool. Hopefully, the next tour will include Cincinnati because I don't think Cinematic Titanic ever made it uh, here. Because I certainly would have uh, tried to get an interview I back then. Yeah. Can't
0: remember. I think we did Cleveland. Yep, and you're doing Cleveland on this pretty, tour too. We did yeah.
1: Columbus and Cleveland,
0: but but somehow I feel like somehow along the line I've been to Cincinnati performing. Maybe I did a maybe I did a Comic Con there or something. Yeah, yeah, we have a fairly big one. In yeah, the fall, I did yeah. a Comic Con. I did a uh, Horror Hound.
1: Okay. All right. Well, sounds yeah. good. Well, terrific. I won't take up any more of your time. I'll let you get on to the next interview. And but thanks for doing this again. This is this absolutely huge. A great honor to talk to you, sir. And uh, looking yeah, forward to. Yeah. Thanks.
0: And uh, when do you think the uh, article will be uh, in the
1: City Page? It'll the Wednesday before the show. I can't remember what the date is, but it comes out on Wednesday, and the online version might come out Tuesday night before, and then the Wednesday before the show it'll be there, and then this the podcast episode will drop this Sunday. And I've got 5,000 listeners, so hopefully we'll get some more butts in the seats in other towns. Not that you need my help. Great. <laughs> sounds good. And is there any chance of a cover on uh, City page? I don't know. I would have to see with my editor. I'm sure they'll do a call-out on the cover. Okay. Though. But All right. I will yeah, ask that. know, because uh, I'm real curious about that. Take sure, care. sure. All right. Thanks, Joel. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. bye alright bye Thanks again to Joel Hodgson for being on the show. What a massive, massive get that was, as we say in the biz. You can catch the Mystery Science Theater 3000 tour in San Francisco Wednesday, July 26th, and then again Thursday, July 27th. Now they're uh, rotating films. They're doing one called EGA. They're doing another one uh, where they throw in a secret surprise film. So uh, they're, they're kind of rotating a couple different ones in and out of there. If you go to the MST3K.com uh, website, you get all the information you need on this tour and uh, what shows will be happening uh, in your area. And okay. So again, thanks to Joel for being on the show. That was a super terrific interview. we now move on to some uh, bits of housekeeping. Uh, first of all, I've got a TV show recommendation for you. Uh, Glow. wasn't sure I was going to like it. Heard people talking about it. The thing that got me interested in it a little bit was our friends over at the uh, Media uh, Research Council, and of course I'm doing little air quotes with my hands when I say research. The Media Research uh, Council uh, and Newsbusters hated it. <laughs> they absolutely hated it because you know there's nudity, there's 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 lesbians. I don't think I actually any lesbians in it, but anyway, they hated it, and you know for all the reasons you think they would hate it. So that kind of piqued my interest. But I'm not really a big wrestling fan. Well, a mutual friend. Of uh, my wife and I have a friend we used to work with uh, at my wife's job, and she watched it and she said, This is great, you gotta see it. So we're like, Oh, well, okay, we'll watch it. And it turns out our friend of the show, Mark Marin, is on the show. He plays the uh, manager/slash producer of the Glow uh, Wrestling TV series, and he is brilliant. Now, he was just fine on Maron playing himself, but it's almost as if it's easier for him to play somebody that's kind of like him but is not really him, even a fictionalized version of him, if you follow. Uh, he's just brilliant on this. He's, he's the best part of the whole show. And uh, Allison Bree, she's a friend of Never Not Funny, and uh, some other folks are, are in the mix as well. But I do recommend Glow, even if you don't like wrestling. Again, me, not a big fan. Does take place in the 80s, big fan of that. Doesn't really play into it too much, though. And uh, it's really good. So that's on Netflix. They're not a sponsor. Hopefully they'll kick us some coin anyway. Um, Another weird thing happened. Uh, At my day job, uh, we were chatting, and uh, name dropper that I am, we were talking about, I know, Polly Shore came up for some reason, and I said, oh, yeah, he's been on the show. So uh, my my coworker, Ryan, decides to listen to that show and then proceeds to binge listen to a bunch of PF tape recorders. And, And here's the weird part. He doesn't skip past the mucky muck just to get to the interview. He listens to the dumb bits. So... Oh, that was weird. So, um, anyway, shout out to Ryan. Thanks for listening. And uh, we're going to get now to the Song of the Week. Song of the Week, I'm very excited for. It's from Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark, of course, one of my two favorite bands. And uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, yes, they did have a Song of the Week six weeks ago uh, with the song Isotype. They just released a new single, and this one is called The Punishment of Luxury. It's going to be the title track to their album, which comes out in September. And the reason I decided to go with this uh, and be a homer is because uh, on the omd facebook fan page somebody had posted this uh something from a blog called ultimate guitar and it was said the 10 best synth bands and it's probably just like some guy in his den like me you know writing this blog me doing this podcast and it was almost as if this guy just wrote down some bands he heard of the either are keyboard bands or maybe even have keyboards like duran duran kind of put them in a hat and pulled them out Number one he had was Depeche Mode. Uh, Number two, I think, was Pet Shop Boys. Those are fine one and two picks. I'm not mad. New Order was in there. OMD finished seventh. Weirdly, Duran Duran is in there. Aha is in there. Aha. One great song, a couple really good songs, not one of the 10 best keyboard bands ever. So anyway, um, I kind of made my own list, which I'll probably do on my personal blog, Uh, Can I Have a Say, which I rarely get time to even do because people are paying me to write um, other things. But if I get to it, uh, I made my list, and I went around and around on this. I thought, well, you know what? OMD is the best keyboard band ever. First of all, I still like them, so that should say something. Uh, Depeche Mode, who I would also put up there, and Pet Shop Boys, really haven't made a good album since Alan Wilder left in 1993, was it? Pet Shop Boys have done okay, but I think OMD have produced quality material. Took that big hiatus, of course, for 10 years, but uh, have since produced uh, two quality albums. Uh, So far, so good on the third album since then. So, uh, yeah, why not OMD is the best keyboard band ever? Why not OMD for our song of the week? And what I like about this song is the fact that it doesn't sound a lot like what they've been doing recently as far as the structure of the song and uh, things like that. I think you know what I mean if you've if you heard Isotype, if you're familiar with the history of modern and some of the tracks from that and uh and from uh, English Electric, which was the previous album, so I think uh, melodically and structure-wise, it's a little different. And I think you're really going to dig this. This is the punishment of luxury. It is our song of the week on P.F. Tape Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening.